Psalm 25, verse 4. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. God is not a man that he should lie. He is, he is so impeccable in his integrity and trustworthy and faithful beyond description. And we can line up with him and tr- give our lives to him and trust him, trust our eternity with him, trust all the issues and elements of our existence with him, trust where things are going in today's hour so we're not overwhelmed with fear. Thankfully, his word says, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind. Teach us your ways, Lord. He's, he's looking for people whose hearts are completely his that he may strongly support. His ear is inclined to the prayer of the upright, and that's going to be one of my points in a minute. We're to pray with this understanding and be really bold about it. Uh, look at his ways. Look at what he just did here. There, I've got a number of things I'm going to be teaching on Friday nights coming up like how God had to reduce Gideon's army so that they wouldn't take glory for themselves. And in a very real sense, there's a reducing of the general's armies before a great breakthrough. And also there's a requirement on Elisha to depend for his welfare from a poor widow and then to ask that she make with her last little bit of food a meal for him first, which is... Not politically correct, but it was obedience to the Lord. And she's blessed, and he was blessed, and amazing stories will come from this as we, as we go in these upcoming weeks. There are things that seem like useless work that God will have us do, like digging ditches out in the middle of a field when there's no rain because the troops had no water and they were running into being dehydrated. But yet God knew that he would provide in a certain way, even though when you went into it, it looked like it was, seemed like a dumb idea. But because uh, it was God's plan and God's way, God had a plan. They obeyed God. They got a great result. Hallelujah. And then uh, just the, the requirement of extensive preparation with no sensory reinforcement or outward blessing on the horizon. It's called walking by faith. You are trained for it, and you're in training for it. You are being prepared for things beyond what you can perceive right now. And because God's required that we walk by faith and not by sight, we might get a little bit of information, a medium amount of information. We might get more detail as we go. God ultimately always will reveal things to us because he's faithful, but he wants us to do things by faith. So these guys walked around these walls, and so we learn that God's nature is to bless. God's nature is that he, he is faithful to his promises. And then we study his ways. We want to learn his ways. And for example, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. God wants us to be led by the Holy Spirit. I remember Chuck Yeager, who was a test pilot, and they were trying to break the, um, the sound barrier which I think was around 700 miles per hour or something like that, and Mach 1. And um, test pilots were getting in these planes, and they would get to a certain level, and they would start shaking so badly that they'd have to dial it back, and some of them crashed, and then they'd get to a place where the, the, the engineers would try to tweak them and strengthen them and modify them. And at one point, they were offering uh, extra money 
like a really sizable sum of money back in the, what was it, 1950s or 60s, whenever it was. And uh, Chuck Yeager said, well, you're already paying me. You don't have to give me extra. And uh, he, he was willing to do it. And he, he got up there and it started shaking and it was really nerve wracking. And then he, but he, he, he went and he pushed past it. Now we talk about Chuck Yeager because he was the one that was willing to go where nobody had gone before. We talk about Joshua and the walls of Jericho because up to this point, nothing like this had ever happened. And this is a marker in history. And this is where we look at as a reference point where something that had never been done before was done. What was the name of the runner that broke the four minute mile? Bannister, Roger Bannister. And then Ryan came in right after him. But Bannister was the one that broke the record. Who was the one that killed giants? You say David, but it was Caleb before it was David, right? Caleb said, give me this mountain. Now you say, well, Pastor Jeff, did he really kill the giants? Well, he took the land, uh, so you have a good point there. But he ran the giants out of Hebron, and I know that because when, by the time Goliath of Gath, he was in a whole different place. They had been displaced by that 85-year-old mountain man. Hallelujah. And so we learn about God, and he wants to do unprecedented things throughout each generation. We just had Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. That guy was a, a world land speed record precedent setter. And that's why we honor that, because a praying Baptist Christian prayed and stood his ground and caused some societal change without violence. Chuck Yeager got up there and broke the speed record, and he, and he broke the sound barrier. He broke through to the other side. Roger Bannister, they said you physically could not, it's humanly impossible to run that fast and that hard to go a mile in under four minutes, and he did it back years and years ago. I've met people that have run that fast. I'm not one of them. <laughs> but as I read these Bible stories, and I fellowship with these people, what it does to me is it shows God's ways, it shows God's nature, it prepares me to have expectation. And this is the third point, that this word builds confidence into my outlook. This builds, let God, let God's words build confidence into your outlook to strengthen you. He said in Psalm 119 verse 28, he said, my soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. I'm telling you, let God's word build confidence in you. I don't think Chuck Yeager was confident. I think he was, I think he was radical. It would, take, it would take a radical personality to be a test pilot. It would take a unique athlete to put on the track shoes and sprint that hard when doctors and scientists and people who understand anatomy are saying, blow, you'll blow an O-ring if you do this like a permanent blow, the main, you know, and he, he, I'm going to do it anyway. Everybody say, I'm going to do it anyway. Because that's where we're at right now. We're here trusting the Lord to give us the right outlook so we could have confidence in our spirit. Don't let your confidence be shaken. That's what the bad report is intended to do. It's designed, it's designed to cause the hearts of the saints to be uh, threatened, to melt within them. But again, remember when we talked about Rahab, how she was spared as the only family in Jericho that was spared because she helped the spies because she was in faith. She was in faith. She got up there and she, she said, listen, 
Your God is God, and God's interested in that. How many of you know God is God? My brother and I, I asked my dad before he passed, and he said we, he took us to over 35 churches. I think it was way over 35 churches. We went into some that were that just such, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. Some of them, you know, they, they didn't even, it was so, and I, I was a young kid, and as a young kid, and I, I was a seeker, Young kid, I had a desire, but I now realize God said eternity in our hearts in Ecclesiastes 3. There was a hunger God had put in me, and that just wasn't satisfying me. Till I, I ran into wide awake, genuine, authentic, committed believers that bothered to understand the nature of God and embrace it as is biblically laid out, not question it, not water it down, not neuter it, not throw it out, to study his ways to where we, they, they learned how to walk in the spirit, learned how to stand on the promises of God, learned how to pray the prayer of faith, learned how to continue in the promises of God and never give up, and that to let the word build confidence in their outlook. Confidence is important when it's placed in the right place. And I am talking tonight about the God that coordinated the army of Israel and gave them a plan, even though it was a strange plan. They obeyed God, they walked around that wall, and the walls came down. Flat. Everybody say flat. Pray often, stay sensitive to his promptings, and obedient to each moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let's turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. It's just such a condensed, beautiful area of scripture, go to, go to 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament and read, uh, read from verse uh, 17. Well, well, we'll start with verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. I want to tell you, start every day praying. Get up in the morning and start rejoicing. Just, just start your day before you figure out what kind of coffee you want to brew, before, any, before you turn on the news, before you check your emails, before you put your feet on, for a while, for many years, I did this. Got, before I put my feet on the floor, I, I wanted to make sure before I, my feet swung out of bed and I put my feet on the floor, because you know, I'd gotten up on the wrong side of bed many times. So this, I wanted to make it right. And the way I made it right is I'd get, before my feet would touch the floor, I'd say, Father, thank you. You're, I am your child, you're my father, and I submit to you, Jesus, thank you. Just started my day in praise. Whether I felt like it, whether it was exciting or not, that didn't matter. What mattered was, that was what I was going to do because the Bible said to rejoice always. So we're to rejoice always. Even count it all joy when we encounter various trials. That's not so easy sometimes. But I know you're going to work it out for my good. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. So we carry this treasured truth that God, in this situation, I'm trusting you're going to turn it around. It's going to work together for good. And there's redemption in this thing. I'll learn from this. I even learn from my mistakes. I learn from the hurts and disappointments of life. I learn from your word. I'm a life learner. And God, you're going to cause all things to work together for good. Joseph got treated poorly by his family. And then he turned around and said, the whole reason God raised me up and gave me a dream and gave me a leadership responsibility was so I could help you guys ultimately. That's the funny thing about the whole story. It's like you guys didn't need to treat me so bad, but given that you did, what you meant for harm, God used it and turned it around for good. What a consolation. 
Paul said in Philippians, he said, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He wanted them to know everything's going to be all right. Everybody say that. Everything's going to be all right. That is not baseless optimism. That is not trite cliche. It can be. You just get all glib about it, but when it's rooted in the nature of God, it's rooted in learning his ways, you get your outlook built and developed in in a confidence based on his patterns and his ways and his word, then you've got a biblical leg to stand on. It's not baseless optimism. You understand that God is faithful. That God is our God. Those things were written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Keep your hope alive. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. A desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Faith is the substance of the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We have hopes. We have hope for our generation. We have hope for the young people. We have hope for our country. We have hope for the church. We have hope for evangelism and for discipleship. We have hope for the word going forth into the nations. We have that ultimate treasured hope that Jesus is returning. And he's coming back to a glorious church without spot or blemish. And he's coming back at the right time like a thief in the night. Nobody knows the time or the hour. So let them talk all they want. Get on with all this stuff. And you'll be right on time, right in the place, ready to go when he does occupy yourself till he comes. My message is not to get you to speculate. My message is not to get you titillated with all these kinds of dialing in all these variables. I'm required to equip you so your life will matter until the last second when he does come. That's where we should exert our efforts. We should be planning and praying and preaching and prophesying and trusting God for his purposes to come to pass. Pray without ceasing and everything. Give thanks. This is my last point. Ephesians 6.18 says, pray at all times. I took this literally and I wanted to pray about everything. The Bible says not to be quick to bring things up before the Lord. That means don't be glib. That means don't just kind of do it superficially. That means don't do it unless it's scriptural. You know, like a lot of times my wife will say, hey, would you agree with me about this? And I'll say, let me think about it. Let me process that. That's something you've been thinking about. It's new to me. Let me think about it. She understands it. I'm not delaying to put it off. I just want to I don't want to be glib about it. I want to, okay, now what's the scripture? Is this the Lord? God? What is God saying to me about, you know, how can I, in order that I can get in true agreement, right? And because uh, if two of us agree on earth as touching anything they ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. So we, we better be serious and get on this and, and be scriptural about it. Listen, always, this is my last point five, always give him thanks. I think, I don't know if that was a victory shout that the people had around Jericho. I I don't know that it was like a war chant. I don't know if it was like Mel Gibson on the the horse with the shirt off and the blue face and white face and the the 90s mall hair. I don't know, Uh, you know. Um, But it was was a shout. And, And I think that we need to shout unto God with a voice of triumph and always give him thanks. First, I just read this to you, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, give thanks. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, and let's go to verse 20 so you can see this. John Calvin, the uh, reformer, 
He said you could base and, and you can make it, its doctrine if you could find three scriptures on it. And uh, so we'll, you know, follow that criteria out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let every fact be established. So Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 says, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Always giving thanks is the opposite of murmuring. Always giving thanks is underscoring appreciation that somehow God's going to sort this all out. I've had people tell me, didn't you get mad at God? No. I got saved in 1972, so that's 48 years ago. I have never found a place where I should be mad at God. God has been so good to me. He's been merciful to me when I failed. He's instructed me to not be resentful when people hurt me. He's walked me through bad decisions. He's helped me to overcome crazy distraction. How many of you say the Lord's been good to me? I can't imagine getting mad at God. I really can't. I know some people have. I know King David kind of got frustrated toward the Lord and he admitted it. And there's, I guess, biblical precedence for it. But I don't see it often amongst God's people. And I think actually in everything we ought to give thanks. When I was, look, I had, a, I had that boating accident and I, I was in a hospital in the hood and I was in a room with four people. And I had to spend 24 hours in the hallway of the emergency room because they didn't have any rooms upstairs. When they finally did have a room, it was with one, two, three, four beds. In all my hospital visits, I've never been in a room with four beds. I've been in a room with, you know, two beds, but I've never been in a room with four beds. But I was in a room with four beds, and the guy across from me had just had an amputation, and the guy over there had a terrible blood clot in his leg, and the guy right here was suctioning himself, dealing with cancer. And I was in there all beat up from that boating accident. And you could hear everything. We had paper-thin little curtains, you know. And, I, you, you know, you can't help but listen, not eavesdropping, but you could hear everything everybody's saying because you're, you're this far away from each other. And, uh, I mean, I heard the one guy on the phone call saying, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Somebody was on the other line praying with him about that blood clot not traveling through his body. And, uh, and then the guy over here had this sweet twinkle in his eye, and he's su suctioning all night and day. And he, and he just had this warmth and smile on his face. And I just got so endeared to him. I got so burdened for him. And then the guy across, he had just had his leg cut off right below his knee. And I mean, imagine that. My, accident, my injuries were far less severe. And uh, so at one point I got up and uh, I went from bed to bed because I mean, I have the pastoral calling and there I was and I had the opportunity. So I prayed for each one of them. And they were real open. We were, we were all in there together, you know. Instead of commiserating, they, you know, we just started. And the guy, I said, hey, I heard you over. I, I, I wasn't listening. I wasn't, but I heard you. No weapon formed. Yeah, no weapon formed against me. So he was a Christian. This guy, I don't know. You know, he was so upset about losing his leg. Who wouldn't be? And this guy, he couldn't talk to me because he was suctioning and he had something. And it was, but yet he yielded. And it was, it was really deep. But I didn't say, God, thank you for that boating accident because now I was able to minister to these people. So God, thank you so much that you caused that boating accident to happen so I could get, so it was your will that this boating ha accident happened so I could get in the hospital so I could talk to these guys. No way. No, the boating accident was human error. And God had angels out there going, what are you guys doing? And then they went out and helped us. We had intercessors at our churches praying for us. Thank God. 
So I'm not saying, oh, thank you for the book. I'm saying, what I am saying this, thank you, God, that even in this, where I failed here, where this happened here, where whatever, and you cause it all to work together for good. So thank you that even in that, right? See that? I didn't go, oh, God, thank you that you caused the levee to break so that water would flood in and all these people would lose their jobs and all these homeowners would have their houses destroyed and lose all their equity and these farmers, all their land would be ruined and then all these boats would, or jets would be floating in the, all this crazy, thank you so much, God. No, thank you, though, that God, in the midst of all this broken, fractured world, you can turn this thing around. And God, I thank you that you're giving me wisdom in the midst of all this chaos and you're going to show me what to do. That's not just semantics. That's doctrinal approach. And you have to understand. You say, well, but then didn't God allow it? And he's sovereign. Well, in in a sense, yes. He allowed humanity to forfeit their authority and Satan to usurp it. And now in this fallen world, yet he sent his son Jesus that if the principalities and rulers knew what was happening, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But yet God brought a restoration, and yet this, is not, this thing is not all finalized to the level of finality that it's going to be where Satan is bound in the lake of fire, where we're in that eternal time. There's been a millennial reign, and there are all these things that are happening, new heavens and new earth, all the things that are, those things haven't happened yet. We're somewhere between Jericho's walls, Calvary, the day of Pentecost, and and the first coming, and the rapture and the second coming. And I think we're way over on this side of the thing. And but yet we look back and we see, and we learn always to give thanks. Thank you, God, that in spite of this, we're going to have a breakthrough. Thank you, God, for all the good things you have done. Thank you, God, for all the times you got us through things, right? And we should just continue. And if, we're, if we stay thankful like that, and, and it shifts things, this has helped me. I hope this helps you. When things don't reconcile and I do get tempted to be disappointed and hurt about a situation, I, I still don't project it on God and get mad at God because I know God to be so good. But sometimes when things are weird like that, I start thinking, thank you, God, it could have been a whole lot worse. Somebody dies, but they didn't die in their sin. They were saved. So that helps you. It's like, well, we know where they are. Phil's mom just passed, and he's going, she can run around now. She's, he's thanking God for what his mom has now possessed that she longed for throughout her whole life. Reunited with her dad, Wilbur, running around in heaven. Joyce and Wilbur running around in heaven. Hallelujah. And I'm not making light of it because he'll cry and because there's a loss and that doesn't diminish the loss. It just helps us to realize I've got something to rejoice in and it could have been a whole lot worse. I had a friend who had a seizure in the, behind the wheel of his SUV with his wife in the car, shot off the highway up into, in midair. I'm thankful that she didn't die and that he didn't die, that God let him live several more days, had two babies, blasted off into eternity serving God. Decade later, well, but if God really loved him, no, thank God he didn't die then and have his wife die too and those kids not be born. Thank God God got us in this valley. He wants that light to shine out of the valley. And uh, thank God for what we're brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. So number one, understand the nature of God. Number two, study his ways, study his ways. Go into the Bible. I did this for a couple years when I was a young preacher. I got Hebrews 11 
And I went down the list from Abel to uh, Enoch to Noah to Abraham and Sarah and went all the way through there, Moses, Joshua, so forth, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, uh, the prophets. And I just spent time meditating and pondering uh, on these different snapshots of history. And uh, it did my faith so much good, and it'll do yours good. Go back and familiarize yourself with these vital moments. Get out there and be amongst the people of Israel when the trumpets were blasting and the shout came out and the Ark of the Covenant was there and the manifest glory of God caused the walls to fall flat. And then you look at the situations that you're seeing today and you, you use your faith. Again, that's what I, you know, I don't, that's what I, my takeaway is on Dr. King. I just feel like God anointed him to take a stand at a right moment and it did produce change. I remember that it did change things when I was a kid. And I looked at it and I thought, that's, that's awesome. That, 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 that it cost him his life, it cost Lincoln his life, but they changed some things. And so, you know, this is what we give ourselves to. And, and we, we, we do it with, with faith, hallelujah. Let's all stand up on our feet. I'm, I'm done now, but how many of you are glad you got to read half of a chapter of the book of Joshua? Chapter 6, verse 1 through 21. Everybody say, the walls went flat. Now, I want you to get a Jericho march spiritually around the obstacles and difficulties of your situation. If you see stubborn, kind of tightly shut situations in your life, get on it, find a promise corresponding to it, stand on the word, and fight the good fight of faith. Let's believe God outside these four walls that all the toxicity, all the narrow-mindedness, all the darkness, all the agenda, that God would overwhelm all this toxicity with his manifest glory. And by that I mean more souls saved, more families brought into the kingdom, more people delivered from a lesser battle, and more people uh, free from preoccupation with a different mindset and getting over into what really matters for eternity. Amen?